If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 4. It says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. This is a a corporate confession from Daniel. It's a corporate lament from Daniel. Uh, We started a series for the summer called Life as Liturgy. Liturgy simply means the work of the people. And we've been talking about certain practices that we have as followers of Jesus that shape us to be the kind of people that God wants. And one of those practices is this idea of, of confession and lament. Confession and lament shape us. And here in the story of Daniel, we find him confessing and lamenting. Confession and lament, they shape us. And I think that this is something that needs to be a practice today for God's people. Back in 2012, I had the opportunity to travel to Cape Town, South Africa with a bunch of pastors. And we went to, uh, to visit churches in Cape Town and to study and learn from how they were going about racial reconciliation in the ruins of apartheid. And so we went and and spent about a week or so just meeting with these church leaders and talking about just everything that had happened over the last 60 years. I remember one morning uh, we we drove up to the Lion's Head, this beautiful mountain in Cape Town, and had the opportunity to hike down Signal Hill. And and as I was hiking down Signal Hill uh, with a couple just of of, uh, some colleagues that I was with, we looked out over the ocean and we saw Robben Island. Robben Island, where Nelson, Nelson Mandela was held as a prisoner for 18 years. That week, we, we sat and we listened to, to leaders of, uh, of both races talk about the hard and difficult work of racial reconciliation. And they talked about how as the country started to heal and as that city of Cape Town started to heal, there's these deep scars and wounds that you can still see to this day. And one of the things that they said is as they started to t- try to bring the country together and try to heal the country and the body of Christ worked as peacemakers in this community, they had to address racism not just from a personal level or even an interpersonal level. They had to address racism from a system, systematic level. Systematically, they said, even, even when we would meet with people and we'd find that, that their hearts had started to change, uh, there, there was something deeper going on in the midst of this city, in the midst of this country. And here's what they told us about apartheid, is that for, for 60 years, what they realized is that you, uh, you could, uh, it's possible for someone to have their soul redeemed by Jesus and still be caught up 
in a system that was shaped by Satan. Let me say that one time, one more time. It, it, it's possible for a soul to be redeemed by Jesus and at the same time to be caught up in a system that is shaped by Satan. And they said, was they started to, to work towards healing uh, for, after apartheid, is, is it wasn't just the personal level, that they were talking about just uh, systematic racism that needed to be addressed and healed. With everything that's going on in our world today, there's all sorts of opinions about what's happening. Learning from the South, the South Africans, what we find is that uh, it's not an easy work for racial reconciliation. But there is such thing as systemic racism that must be addressed. Sometimes it's hard to admit that. Sometimes we don't want to look at that. But here's the thing. If you don't think that systemic evil exists, what do you do with Daniel chapter 9? Because in Daniel chapter 9, this passage that we just read, what Daniel is doing is he's confessing, not just for himself, he's confessing something of his, his whole nation has dealt with. And in fact, we know that Daniel is one of the most faithful people, the most blameless people in all of scripture, and yet here he is confessing something. And it's something that, it wasn't even something that he did, it's, it's something that he's confessing for his ancestors and for his community. As he looks around at their situation of exile and the world that has been broken around him, he comes lamenting the fact that there's this systemic evil that needs to be addressed. Daniel's a part of confessing something that even happened long before he was alive. He was part of a group that was unfaithful. Here in America, with everything that's happening, the midst of the tension right now, as we feel like the world is spiraling out of control, what strange days we live in. For God's people, what is our response? And why is it so difficult? Why is it so painful? We see generational pain manifesting itself in all sorts of different ways right now. Another thing we learned in Cape Town from pastors uh, was a, a quote that I picked up on from a man named Peter Story. Peter Story uh, was a bishop in South Africa and uh, had an open letter to America. This was about 20 years ago and talking about this idea of why it's so hard for us to just kind of uh, call out systemic evil in our own country. And these are difficult words. But here's what he said. He said, American preachers, and he, you know, this was personal for me as I was thinking about uh, how I would uh, approach this topic. He says, American preachers have a task more difficult perhaps than those faced by us under South African apartheid. We had obvious evils to engage. You have to unwrap your culture from years of red, white, and blue myth. You have to expose and confront the great disconnect between the kindness and compassion and caring of most American people and the ruthless way American power is experienced directly and indirectly by the poor of the earth. You have to help good people see how they have let their institutions do their sinning for them. And this is not easy among people who really believe that their country does nothing but good. But it is necessary, not only for the future, but for us all. Wow, yeah. 
Some of you might be angry. You might be mad at me. I'm glad I'm on the other side of this camera right now because those are harsh words to hear. And something inside you might disagree and something inside you, it just might, it upsets you. And it upsets me as well. And I think part of the reason it upsets me as well is because I know deep down inside it's true and these things are happening and these things need to be addressed. Something deep inside of me feels disturbed. And, and as a pastor and thinking about a pastoral response, there's all sorts of things that, that I want to do, I want to say. I want, a lot of it comes from emotion and anger. Um, and, and, and I feel like I'm just like, you know, adding noise to this conversation that's happening. And I'm not really even sure what to do. But here's one thing that I've learned. And here's one thing that I've become aware of is that this brokenness that is systematic in our culture is also this brokenness that is inside of me. And every now and then I get this glimpse and this reminder, and then things happen like these last two weeks ago, and I realize this, that I want to speak into the circumstances that are happening right now, but I don't even have, I haven't cultivated enough trust and credibility with people of color in my life. And as a pastor, I haven't cultivated trust and credibility with people of color in our church. As I was sitting with our team and we we're kind of talking about all the different things that are happening right now, I told them one of the things I noticed is, you know, I went onto Facebook and just started looking at my list of friends. And I have like 1,700. That's not a flex. I just, you know, I've been around for a while. So I have a lot of friends. But 1,700 friends, and I was going through this friends list, and I realized that maybe 50 of them, of the 1,700, were, were black friends. And of those 50, a lot of them were from my trip to South Africa, you know, eight years ago. And I started to realize that what is it inside of me? Because I don't feel like I am a racist person, and I don't feel like I have hatred towards people who are different than me but I'm in this system where it's something that I'm not even aware of what's happening. I'm not even aware of my lack of ability to build bridges, to be intentional. And if what I believe about the gospel and the kingdom of God is true, that Christ came and he broke the barrier, the dividing wall, creating a new humanity, that the two, the Jew and the Gentile were made one. That this reflects the way of the kingdom. Here's one thing I'm realizing in my life. That this, this uh, value of the kingdom, that people from all sorts of nationalities and ethnicities and races are gathered as the body of Christ, it is a hope in my life, but not necessarily, not necessarily a value. It's a hope. It's something I know. It's hoping I'm, something I'm looking forward to and I want more of. But it's different than a value because values shape how we live. And if you look at my life, you would find I'm not intentional about building bridges. And that is something that needs to change with me and with our church. This isn't just something we hope for. This has to be something that we value, that it shapes how we interact with those around us. As I've, uh, you know, trying to consider, you know, what, what is our response? What do we do in the midst of all of the racial uh, tension that's happening in our country today? I've learned that one of the most important things for me to do is to just stop and to listen. 
I've become aware of some things in my own life that have been shocking, and I need to listen. I've had four conversations in the last two weeks with people of color, people that are in, in our community that I've known for a long time. And I just want to share a little bit about those experiences. The first two conversations, the first two conversations I had were with people um, who started to share stories of what it's like uh, to experience racism. So they shared stories of things that they've been called, things that they've been accused of, things that they were afraid of. And as they shared, these were these gut-wrenching things that they shared with just tears in their eyes as they talked about, this is what I have experienced right here in our community in Phoenix. And I remember like just listening to the pain of those experiences. And the thing I thought was, I have no idea. I had no idea that, that you know, it's, just, it's this thing that just feels like it's, it's a ghost that haunts us, but you know, it's never like right in our face every single day. And to hear your story, I'm reminded, it is an urgent thing. And I have no idea. Third conversation I had was with a friend that I have uh, kind of known my whole life. Um, I love this guy. Um, just an, an amazing heart. And, um, and, and he's a black friend. And so we, I went to go get breakfast burritos with him this week at Habanero's. And just to check in to see how he's doing and to just process with him. And, and, and one of the things, as, as he started to kind of share about our relationship, I realized the way that I had made him feel over, over the course of our life without even realizing it. And so there was like this combination of like the spicy habanero salsa and then the conversation. I just started crying right there in the middle of the restaurant, just started crying and, and just said, I'm so sorry. I had no idea how this feels, what you've experienced. And, and, and there was this moment of, of he was like, no, it's okay. And then he's like, I'm realizing like, you know, growing up here in this neighborhood, I'm, I'm a lot of people's only black friend. And so I'm having this conversation over and over again. And again, I realized I didn't know what I didn't know. Fourth conversation I had um, was, was with uh, Jamal Scott. Many of you know Jamal uh, in our church. And uh, it was cool. It was just, you know, it was cool. Just to set the stage a little bit, uh, when we get together, what you have is two local high school basketball legends when we gather together. I mean, there's three state championships between the two of us. Uh, you know, Jamal went on to play D1, played in March Madness. I also played college sports, and so it's really cool when we get together. So there we were, uh, you know, just two dads hanging out at Panera Bread, eating salad, and, and, and just having this conversation. And part of it was I just wanted to catch up with Jamal, but then just the ability to kind of process with him and be able to process like, what he was experiencing and, and, and what we could do about it. And the, the, the one thing he said is, I, I just want to thank you just for, for meeting with me, for getting together with me. And, and I realized, you know what, there's so much that I don't know, and, and I don't even know that I don't know, but I want to learn, and I want to build bridges. And for some reason, it's, I just, you know, I, when, when you, 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 you hear all these different things of, of what's being said and what's real and what's, but then you meet with people and you have real conversations and you hear, hear about real experiences and you realize that we have a problem and we don't even know that we have a problem. A couple of things what I, what I think make, make this a really difficult problem um, and, and why we don't necessarily just want to address it. The first is this. 
Uh, we live in a world that is be, it's being driven further and further into false dichotomies. We live in a world that's being driven further and further into false dichotomies. And so what happens is you, if you're against something, you're not just, you know, if you disagree with something, you're not just against it. You are like the radical other of it. And this is a message that we're being driven to the, like we're being driven to the extremes. If we disagree with something, we're, we're, we're radical of the other. Or if you, if, if you love something, then you must absolutely hate the other thing. Or if you critique something, you must be all for this thing over here. And there's these, there's these false dichotomies that we're being driven into. And so, like, we want to talk about it, but then we're like, I, I, if I, does that mean I'm over on this side or I'm over with these? And the truth about life is that it's not, we don't exist in these false dichotomies. Life is full of nuance and texture and different elements of complexity. And it's okay to, to, to say there's certain things that I disagree with. We, we know that there's, there, are, there are bad people who are part of good systems. And there are good people who are caught up in bad systems. And there's all sorts of layers to this. And I don't have to be all, all against it, all for it. I could speak into it, critique it, reform it, talk about the real issues without just going to these extremes. And so it becomes hard to, to, to talk about it because we're like, we're just being driven into these false dichotomies. And that's something that I think needs to change. Life is full of nuance. We need to have civil conversations. The second thing is this, that I think this is a problem because political tribes control the narratives. Political tribes control the narratives. And so with all the information that's happening, we can't even process information, whether it's about COVID-19 or the, 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 the racial tension that's happening right now. It, we can't even process what's real and what's true because the narratives of the political tribes just angle whatever story they can to their advantage. These political tribes control the narrative. And it's almost like there are these cultural liturgies that are forming us, our opinion, what we believe, how we receive information. And the cultural liturgies are forming us more than God's word is forming us. And we get caught up in these different narratives and these different ways that we're being angled. And we forget that as followers of Jesus, we get our word, our information from God through prayer, from the church, from the accountability of fellowship of believers. And we don't get kind of stuck into these packaged ethics. It gives us the ability to speak prophetically into situations, to be peacemakers in different situations. And sometimes it's so hard because it's like these cultural liturgies, these, these political tribes control the narrative of what's happening. And if, if you're like me, it's like you, you get caught up in that. But we are people of the kingdom of God. We are people of God's word. We are people of resurrection. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So we see other human beings, we see the image of God in them. And when the gospel confronts our political tribe and we side with our political tribe, we might be worshiping the wrong thing. We're gospel-centered people. We're part of a different kind of kingdom. And we don't let those political narratives control how we treat other human beings. 
And the third thing that I think is, is the problem for us when it comes to addressing this is, is that our pride prevents us. Our pride prevents us from admitting, from confession, from empathy. Something deep down inside of us goes on the defense. We're prideful people. C.S. Lewis, who I quote often on pride, I feel like it's something that we probably need to hear over and over, says this about pride. He says, there is one vice which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, in which hardly any people except for Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Our pride keeps us from admitting these problems. The opposite of pride is humility. As Philippians 2 was read this morning, that we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus to be humble, to listen, to create empathy. We're a part of a, a network of churches uh, here, here in Phoenix. Uh, a denomination is really what it is, what we're affiliated with. And in this uh, kind of family of churches, we have black churches, we have Hispanic churches, uh, we have white churches. And uh, this week, uh, one of our, our pastors, uh, who is uh, the chairman of the state council, uh, sent out just a video uh, to, to pastors um, to just kind of talk about this, this uh, the issue of, of racism. And as I listened to it and listened to the instructions from just this older pastor who's spoken into my life, I just thought this is something we need to hear. This is something that we just, I need to share with Desert City. And so this is from Pastor Paul Johnson, and I just want to share the message that he had sent out this week. So we're going to roll with this video. Just pay attention to these words. Hello, everyone. I'm speaking to you, um, you Arizonians that are connected with the Arizona uh, Church of God um, General Assembly and, and its chairman. Um, I just wanted to spend a few minutes with you and talk with you based on what's been going on in our country and even in our city. I've had the privilege to, to serve you for, oh, 12 years now, and it's been an, an incredible um, journey in watching what God is doing in our state. I have also um, uh, just kind of doing some calculations, and, and it's been a, nearly 45 years that, that I have spent in active ministry with my wife and, and, and family, and it's been... Um, a wonderful experience as we've been able to dance between uh, multiple denominations and, and our movement. I've made some observations and some of them are really encouraging. Uh, God is on the move. I've made some discouraging observations too. I'm going to talk about that in a, in a moment. But my final conclusion of these observations is um, there is hope. And I'm going to close out with that. Um, we've been facing a pandemic for the last um, three or four months. I can't even 
can't even count how long. And, and the world is just being kind of turned upside down and shaken and, and we're just not sure. There's another pandemic, another sickness that has reared its ugly head. And that one is the pandemic of racism and discrimination. Perhaps there has been some things that we have been missing. I thought for so many years, and I'm teasing you a bit, that, that I am different. Many of you know me. Um, that my accent is different. I, I don't sound like I'm from here. In America, they say I don't sound like I'm from here. Or when I grew up in Canada, they say I didn't sound like I was from there. Now when I go home to England, they, sound, they say I don't sound like I'm from there. Let's not even talk about Jamaica. But I want to tell you, there is another reality. And I want to let you know as brothers and sisters that I have observed in ministry the racism, the segregation, the discrimination. It's all been very polite though. I'll tell you that. Unspoken, yes. But we've experienced it. But I tell you, there's hope. What's the hope? The hope is Jesus. What about Jesus? Jesus said that he was going to send somebody when he went to heaven that was going to come alongside of us and live in us. And that's the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about, we just got out of um, Pentecost last week where like a rushing mighty wind God's Spirit fill the house and languages were spoken that people could understand. Boy, do we need understanding. So I, I have a word here that, that I'm going to challenge you to look at. And I believe God is calling the church, calling us as spiritual leaders to look into ourselves. Sometimes it's pretty, most times it's not pretty. But we want what God wants. We want the truth of God, don't we, in our lives? And so I'm taking this, this word, self, and I am going to do it as an acrostic. For the word, for the letter S, I came up with the word seek. You all know that passage in 2 Chronicles 7, um, 13 and 14. It says, well, if um, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek 
face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive and I will heal their land. You can break that scripture down. You pastors, you theologians can, can do it better than myself. But it is a supernatural act that we have to do to get a supernatural reaction. Second thing, we got self, we got, we got seek, and then we've got empathy. Well, you know empathy. Jesus so many times was just moved with compassion. Part of our prayer needs to be, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, you know that one too. Some of the things that God is calling us to have the heart for. So we've got seek, we've got empathy. Next one I, I coined is listen and learn. I heard it said that um, so many times, even as believers, we don't know that we don't know. I mean, like we're so totally ignorant on a subject that we don't even know we're ignorant on a subject. I encourage you to not have that posture. I encourage you to have the posture of, I know that I don't know. I'm at least aware of that, that this, this thing, God, I have no clue, but I know that there's a major problem. And I know it's been going on for 400 years. I can break that one down. The last one, F. We've got the seek. We've got the empathy. We've got the listen and learn and finally we've got the F with just focus focus on what? focus on the root issues don't get distracted by the side ones imagine, imagine somebody that is really upset at something I know none of you as spiritual leaders and clergy have ever felt like punching a wall. None of you have ever wanted to kick the car. I, I know, I know that for a fact. Because if you kick the car, then you have to go get it repaired. And so we're not going to Spend the money. Sometimes it happens. And in that light, it can be so easy for us to focus on you. How dare you kick the car, punch the wall? How dare you? Instead of saying, what's going on that would make you so upset that you would have to lose your mind? 
and kick the car that we now have to go and repair. There's been some things that have gone on um, during this last couple of weeks. We've seen peaceful protests. We've seen not-so-peaceful protests. We've seen um, rioting, and we've seen um, violence. We have seen um, law enforcement that has lost their lives over this. This is hideous. This is injustice. And justice needs to be served. Whilst this is all true, what I just said, it is important that we do not lose sight of the root issue. And it breaks the heart of God. And it breaks my heart too. This has been a difficult subject for me to talk about because I love you all and I have relationship with many of you and, and I so love serving you um, and working with Pastor Don, um, our state pastor. Um, but I want to see God do something really lasting. It's not about me, not about my accent or the hue of my skin. That is not the position that I'm coming to you on. It's a fellow servant of the Lord that is saying we need to deal with this. God is not pleased. He's given us the tools so that if his people will do it, he'll heal the land supernaturally. I just want to pray with you. Father, I thank you for our churches. I thank you for our leaders. I thank you for our clergy and the walk that you have had with them. And Lord, I just ask now that you, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, not in our power, that you would again fill us by your Holy Spirit with power, with boldness to stand for what is right, not in silence, and declare your word, your prophetic word, God, I thank you for the churches in our great state. Would you continue to let your word go forth in power? We love you, God. And we submit ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say if, if any of you want to continue this discussion or have this discussion with me, feel free to contact me anytime. God bless you. We started today with Daniel's confession. We talked about this liturgy of confession and lament. What we confess, what we lament shapes us. But also when we confess and when we lament, it unleashes God's presence in our life. So maybe today as we close, the question to ask are, what are the things deep inside me that need to be confessed? Maybe it's individual. Maybe it's something that's corporate. What are the things that I need to lament as I just look at the pain of the world around me?
Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We need more of you. We need your wisdom. We need your healing. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord. As your people, empower us to be instruments of reconciliation, to be peacemakers. To be people that have an eternal perspective. We love you, Lord. We love because you first loved us. Amen.